0: It's Trish and Heather here, and we're home design coaches and founders of the Scribble Club. The
1: Scribble Club is an online community for people who like design, healthy, and functional homes, and are looking for creative inspiration from professional designers.
0: Welcome to the Sketchy Ladies podcast, which is a mix of design and building advice from inside the industry. You'll get simple tips and tricks to help you overcome
1: your design challenges with creative solutions.
0: You'll learn how to create the spaces you've always dreamed of but never had the confidence to design. We value
1: beautiful, functional, healthy homes and that's what we're here to help you discover.
0: As qualified designers and busy mums, we understand how your health, sanity and well-being can benefit from a well-designed home. There is no need to settle for
1: second best. Each week you'll get some tips and tricks to help improve the spaces inside and outside your home. Make sure you subscribe to the Sketchy
0: Ladies podcast and this way you won't miss an
1: episode. You can find the links to all the episodes and other goodies at thescribbleclub.com forward slash podcast.
0: The Sketchy Ladies Podcast is here to help you create your
1: dream home. Let's make it happen.
0: Welcome to the Sketchy Ladies Podcast, attrition Heather. Today we are jumping into our updates on our flip that we're doing, we're underway, and where we're at. Heather, what have you been up to? I know you've been working pretty hard on site.
1: Yes, pulling up Smooth Edge. For everyone that doesn't know, Smooth Edge is that really spiky stuff that holds your carpet down, and pulling that up when it breaks off in tiny, tiny little pieces takes literally hours but it was well worth it and it's one of those rewarding things when you start you think oh this is just going to take me days and days and then you get a little bit of a run along you go oh I've got a section that's as long as a ruler. Wow. (laughs) But the other additional thing we had, we had two layers of smooth edge in most of the rooms, which meant that carpet had been relayed multiple times by good quality carpet layers, which meant it was very, very difficult to pull up. And we also had staples and nails and tacks as well, all holding everything in. But once we've pulled all that off and swept the floor, it looks magnificent and it's ready to be sanded for the next stage. That'll be Probably a little bit further down the track, well after Christmas, probably into early February, I think we're a little bit reliant on other trades here. People take holidays over Christmas and the floor sand is very busy through January. Hopefully he'll be able to slot us in either late January, early February to get all those floors polished, but they can't have any imperfections in them. Can't have any nails or tacks and so that was all done. tissue you pulled out a bit of floor yourself, didn't you, in the bathroom? For the
0: carpet, you sort of think it's going to be harder than what it actually is. <laughs> it's still a bit of physical work. You're sweating, pulling that up. There's all the staples and that's what I spent about three hours just on my knees just at the front door. It was a high traffic area and they decided they needed more staples in for some reason. <laughs> so I reckon there was probably about 1,500 staples in a very small area. It was an amazing amount. It's hard work and, the, and that smooth edge, it's, it's really dry timber. It splints and, and splinters really quickly and easy so you can't to get yourself good leverage on a whole piece. Yes, good work,
1: well done. (laughs) I had my mother and father helping me and my father was showing me because my grandfather actually used to be a carpet layer after the war and he was a quality carpet layer and there was a certain style and methodology that he did. But with the tacks they use in the smooth edge, about halfway down, they're actually almost like a screw And so they're designed to tack in like a nail and then almost screw themselves in tight, which is why it's so difficult to remove them because you've got to lever them up a bit and you can't unscrew them because there's no screw head at all, but it's really minuscule. But when you look at the detail of it, that's why it holds in so well. And that was what the difference is between the quality smooth edge and some of the cheaper generic style ones that are on the market at the moment they're just a straight tack so they go in quicker but they come out easier as well that's what made it so so difficult pulling all this smooth edge out and why it took so long because rather than being able to get a big straight long run of a meter or so you're just pulling out about the width of your hand every time before it breaks and shatters and it it makes a lot of noise too because you've got crowbars in underneath it and wrenching it and all of it's squeaking and crashing and making very loud echoey sounds Uh, but once it's gone thankfully the holes are very tiny because it's a tapered pack as well. It means that you can restore your floorboards very easily. Often if we pull up carpet, we'll see damage in floorboards and holes and remnants of other things. We do have a few small stained areas, but hopefully they'll polish up. It's not really badly stained. It's more just slight discoloration. But I think the quality of the boards and the colour that you'll get out of them. We did look at whether we put in carpet back into the bedrooms, but the floorboards were just so beautiful. We thought, nope, we'll just stick with floorboards throughout And the other really strange thing that was underneath is this fine, fine clumpy dust. And again, I had no idea. I just thought it was dust that had fallen through the carpet over years and years. But apparently in the heyday, in the early 50s when this was built, the style of timber floorboard laying meant that they just left the sawdust. So they top sanded them, just left the sawdust there and laid the carpet straight over the top. And that was, again, something that my father knew because he'd been talking to my grandfather about it and the better tradesmen probably would have swept the whole floor and cleaned it all but at the time they got them in quickly sanded it to make it level and even to get your underlay in and then your carpet on top what we're left with is what looks almost like a little grindings of coffee it's really really fine and it's a little bit sticky again it's a process of going through getting that dried and, and chipped off without damaging the floorboards we're using a, a firm brush to try and lift some of that and then a finer brush afterwards to come through and then vacuum at the end to get some of, that's a bit hard work in itself too and i'd not come across that before so it was really interesting to get the history about why these products were like they were for the era it was a much probably higher
0: explains, i found the underlay was actually sticking to the floor and leaving a lot behind too. little clumps of that it probably explains that moisture that was left there and how that's tacked to it it's really rubbery sort of underlay it, it wasn't all that pleasant to have to pull up we were all covered head to toe with a mask and our glasses to protect ourselves yeah. it's something that we were really conscious of as well it was actually looking after ourselves wearing our gloves having our glasses protect our eyes and, and dust mask especially with that carpet we have, there was fleas and all sorts in there that we just wanted to keep our respiratory areas the out.
1: other thing is to the tacks so all the tacks and staples we use to secure the underlays you've got two layers you've got an underlay which is a soft foamy bit and then your carpet sits on top and if you don't have the underlay it's too hard on the floor and you hear creaking and groaning underlay softens up your carpet but To keep it in place, you've got two layers with people walk on top of it, one will slip. But in those days, they were using tacks and staples to hold it, whereas nowadays it's very much more common to be either using a double-sided tape or some other form of adhesive, more of a glue style or a tack. I've seen many cases where it's just literally double-sided tape around the edge and a couple of bits in the middle to stop it moving. So again, this type of installation has changed a lot with carpet laying these days, and they have different cutters as well. They can cut along the edge as they're doing it whereas in the old days they used to cut it stretch it recut cut yeah, it stretch yeah. it and I've practiced on my grandfather's old carpet laying device it's like a torture device it's a big round pad at the top and then goes down into something that you slam your knee against to yes. move the carpet along and yeah. you end up with knees. they still use those
0: things it's
1: a horror thing to use on your knees we've
0: got these beautiful timber boards and uh, the thing about the original boards are that we're going to have a different colour, like if you put in a brand new timber, it, has like, it's a, it can be quite blonde or yellow, get really pink pieces as well, and that'll change over time. What we've seen with this floor it's not really going to change for us. We know what we've got. We're going to sand it up. It'll be slightly different because it could be cleaner effectively. But we, we know the colour that we are the output, the end, end game is already there for us. And, and the fact that we've inherited these does mean that we can afford to probably put in a better product to care for them. We talked about before all the type of different products you can get out there that are better for your health and the environment. You've been chatting with the floor sanders and about what products that we can put down. So we've got polyethane, but there was also something else you mentioned.
1: Mm, so lots of, different finishes you can put and a two-pack polyurethane is that very solid almost looks like a fiberglass finish very high shiny finish and that is quite popular for domestic because it is high gloss but we don't really like that as much because it can get damaged quite easily my preference is for more natural look with the timbers we can use oils there's lots of different types of oils we can use and you can also use beeswax as a straight product but He's talking about an eco oil, which is a combination of a few of those different products together. Beeswax finish will be a much duller finish. It's almost like a waxy finish, if that makes sense. It's softer and smoother, and an oil is shinier. The combination of the two gives you that nice sheen, but it's a slightly duller effect. It's definitely not high gloss. But what it does do, it's much nicer on the timber. Timber can become quite dry. The oils really help liven the timber up again, but the colour will be slightly darker. Often people will polish up a board to be very light and put the two-pack on to maintain that light finish. But over time with the sun can actually turn quite yellow, which is another disadvantage of it. That's why we're looking at an eco-based product and per square metre it actually works out similar sort of prices to some of the high-tech ones and I don't like the two-pack because it smells bad because it's got lots of chemicals in it that are not very nice and so if you have any sort of allergies and things these natural products are a lot better for children they're even better than if you've got carpets if you've got kids that are allergic to dust dust mites th- even asthma straight floorboards is a much better thing because you can see the dust on them that doesn't just sit there and accumulate it can be cleaned off they're the sorts of finishes that we're potentially looking at but we'll get samples too so that we can be sure that we're happy with those in the environment
0: we've actually used that product that you mentioned for the timber on our previous phone and we did love it because it actually gave us probably a less hard feel to the timber too so it almost felt like we've got to see and feel the timber more naturally in its natural state than what it was under a hard it's going to be a great product we did really like it we've also gone into the bathroom we've really stripped that out two people on but four of us trying to get this bath out of there. <laughs> it's a very heavy steel bath. We've pulled everything out. We've got all of the fittings out, the wall linings to where we need them to be kept and the vanity unit. And what we've also done as a part of our planning for this is we've talked about where those locations of the plumbing fixtures are going to go and something that we've done in this particular bathroom, and we played around with all different combinations, didn't we? And we put the bath in different spots and the vanity in the shower and Ultimately, winded up back to where it was. So we kept the bath in the same spot, the shower in the same spot, and the vanity in the same spot. We're re a few things, but the planning aside of that has just it's brought us back to that same area. What that has meant is that we've pulled it all up. We've got the original floorboards, actually keeping them in really good nick. So we've been so fortunate with this project. And the quality of these things underneath our flooring, we've poured away the section where the shower is going to go because they're going to have to lower that section because we're going with an open shower. An open shower means that we don't have a traditional door on our shower. It's fully open. We've got a glass screen to help keep the water into a certain area, but the floor flows all through as once. We haven't got any steps in the floors. So we're reducing our cleaning. Through that process and making it more open field to the to the bathroom as well. So Heather, you're probably a little bit surprised when you stopped into the bathroom the other day. Like what, what's happened since you last there?
1: Well, we've got plumbing. We've got all sorts of bits and pieces that have been plumbed. Deacon, my other was a bit horrified that they actually replaced all the pipework. And I said it's often very common for them to replace all the pipework. Plumbers don't like using old pipework necessarily, and if they're putting something in and they have to certify it, then they'll take it back to a point. And usually if you're doing a whole bathroom, they'll put all new pipe work through because they don't know whether some has been corroded previously or not. And it just means that everything's going to work properly when it does all get fired up and all work. One thing I was going to mention though, in terms of keeping the plumbing fixtures where they are, we have something that's called notifiable works. And if you're looking at doing an apartment flip It's one of those strange rules and everybody would need to check with their own body corporate, but if you're doing like with like replacement, so you're putting something back where it already is, that's probably okay. And as I say, you really must check with the rules under your own strata corp. But if you simply move, so interchange, say a bath and a shower, that will need body corporate approval by, usually by an annual general meeting. And that could really throw your whole program of works out. And so that's notifiable works of the strata. And now once you've done the works, all your certificates for your waterproofing and plumbing, et cetera, all have to be sent back through the body corporate too, and often a certifier as well. So it really adds to the complexity of the projects. What I would say is if you're in a cosmetic renovation where you can keep the fittings without, that, now we've completely changed the selections. It's going to be so, so different, the look and feel of the bathroom but the physical locations meant that we weren't having to rejig the whole room. And I think that's really important if you're coming into doing a bathroom reno. Kitchens are a little bit different because usually your sink is where your sink is and everything else can move around your stove and you, your fridge, that sort of thing can be moving, can move around a lot. But In a bathroom, you can't do that because your plumber's got to be in then you've got to have your wall wall lining and then your waterproofing and your tiling. So it's a lot more trades involved in getting us to that point. And if you have to suddenly get approvals and other processes that sit on top of it, it's going to slow things down. That was just my word of warning that, if you are thinking about doing, always think, can I put the fixtures and fittings back where they were, but update them before I start really going gung-ho and moving everything around. <laughs> that's, that's my word of wording.
0: <laughs> that's a really good point. We always need to check with our local. With the plumbing works, and you mentioned about the piping being we replaced. Now, just to add into that, it was copper piping to the original copper piping. These days in newer homes, they're using what's called a rehau or a, a plastic-type pipe. That's um, insulated and, it's, and there are certain standards in place, but the copper is still acceptable. As you can imagine, it's a soft metal. When it b- bends, it's hard to unbend it to get it back straight again. But I can imagine why that would be another reason they have had to replace it too. I don't envy plumbers. It's not a job I ever want to do, but good on them. They do a great they do a good job. We had an oopsie on site and the builder come on in and cut the floor where we want to drop the shower in and unbeknownst to us, and very strange for this to actually be the case, but there was actually a small gas pipe running right underneath our floorboards when he's cut it he's actually cut through the gas pipe the gas line so fortunate we already had the gas turned off so there was no gas running through there so we're all safe and and while the plumber was there he actually capped that off too so that he knew that it was safe for us as well so it wasn't the end of the world for us we're choosing to stick with gas in the kitchen we were disconnecting that to the kitchen but these things happen we're just very fortunate that nothing happened no one was hurt or anything too. I, I was just thankful that. it
1: wasn't either of us or our partners that did it because oh. it could be divorce on the cards cut through a primary gas line would yeah. not have been heavy but it was just so so lucky too that our gas is running from outside to the bathroom that wasn't the part that was Affected, it was actually the extension on from that. I'm glad the plumber was able to fix that with a very easy cap. A cap just really seals off a service in the place, so that if you ever did want to come back and connect it up again, you could do that. If somebody decided that they did desperately want gas in the kitchen, but the other thing that we were looking at is gas is trying to be phased out primarily in houses around Australia at the moment. So gas is going up out using electricity in the kitchen and induction cooktop. It's going to be a lot more modern outcome. And with the way that we're going with emissions controls and energy efficiency, it was more sensible for us to move in that direction rather than to try and stick with the gas. Plus, I find gas regulators really scary.
0: We have the bathroom fully stripped back. We can see the floors. We have a big hole in the floor waiting for the shower to be sorted out. All the walls are exposed and the plumbing pipes put in place ready for our selection. We had to get our tapware. The reason we jumped in so early to get that is the plumber needs to put what's called a BP. That's actually something that sits inside the wall, inside and behind your tap. That's gonna go in the wall. You don't see it, but it is something that is integral to have have happen before it gets covered up. You can't fit it afterwards. That's of why we had to action on that one really quickly and get that in place the What's coming up is We've got the order coming on site this week to meet us the floor, ready for the shower floor. It's gonna screed that so that it's making a fall, so they're making sure that the water all falls to what's called our floor waste. We're using a central waste. We've we've opted away from the grating trench or a trench drain, which is your long rectangle one, which might run the length of the room, mainly because they're actually awful to clean. We want to have something that's gonna be a really easy cleaned space and look really neat and tidy as well. And sometimes I feel those things can actually make a place a little bit more complex. We're just going with central base in the shower. Just got to prep that up and line all the floor and the walls with a waterproof product. We've got to put a wall lining on, which is a wet area plasterboard. And then it's got to seal up all the corners and the joints with particular tape and little angles, all these waterproofing um, Once all those strips and those angles are in place, then have got to go and paint it with this thick rubber type product. Everyone just refers to it as waterproofing. So it's a membrane. It's almost like a painting on a plastic membrane and just line the internal side of your bathroom with that. There are different rulings around whether you're on a concrete floor, on a timber floor, what type of shower or bath you might have, how it's open, but this waterproofing has to be done by a registered waterproofer, a licensed waterproofer, and we're hoping to have that ready to start filing.
1: Brilliant. In the past, I've put on plenty of waterproofing myself and it's sticky, it's thick and gloopy, but The rules and regulations have changed because a lot of people didn't put it on properly and the problem is all you need is a pinprick size and that will mean that your whole waterproofing can fail and particularly in apartment buildings that's catastrophic because that can fail through multiple floors. This is why all the new rules are in place. Under our National Construction Code requires us to have Licensed people, and there's a whole regime in all the different states. There's a regime to ensure that these people have actually accredited. So you can't just get cheap old mate from around the road with a bucket of galoop to do your waterproofing for you anymore. You actually need to have a certificate at the end of it that says, Yes, this has been done by a licensed professional. And I actually think that's sensible because water is not our friend in bathrooms when it leaks into places that shouldn't. And the insurance claims and costs, I think I've told you about the case we've had. A couple of insurance claims on investment properties where the flexible cord under a vanity has split. They look a little bit like a gas cord, a fibrous cord. So it's a, a fully flexible cord as opposed to the pupper, copper pipe. But when that failed, it split and the water literally sprayed everywhere all through a bathroom over the course of a weekend. Failed. Everything failed. Actually back flooded through the house. They took out carpets in several rooms. And it can be as bad as if you're in a flood. This is where we say we want the water to be right. We want the plumbing fixtures to be right. We want all of our connectivity to be right. And again, in the older style bathrooms, a lot of the things that Trish was talking about weren't there. It was simply a pipe and a tap. Now we have stop valves and other things to allow us to isolate water at different points so that we can fix things as well. If we have a washer that goes bad or we have a a leak or a, a joint that's not great. But Yes, bathroom is going to be exciting once we get some of that sheeting going. And coming in through Christmas, I don't think you're going to have much of a Christmas. We'll be painting and yeah, I'll
0: need a day off here or there, but yeah, no, it would be provided we get our tiles in. That's the other thing is we've got to make sure we get our tiles. We had really started this project at the wrong time of year, but we're pushing through and we're really grateful for the people that are helping us out and not only our partners but our our trades that we know and calling on the people that we know to reach out and help us. So when we go into a showroom, we, we, we build a, a rapport with a particular salesperson and, and I can shout out to Sharni who's looking after me with my tiles and she's just been brilliant and she's just been fantastic because I think she knows that we're going to have other projects and she wants me to come back. So that's really important is to build a really good relationship. We've, we've got a fair bit of work ahead of us. It feel like we're going to have a new finished bathroom and nothing else <laughs>
1: happened. The joy of Christmas is that you have lots of relatives around. It's all hands on deck because it is our side hustle and I'm living an hour and a half away from the site. So it's very much a case of coming into a massive day's work, then have three or four days off. That's the tack we take or maybe more, maybe once a week doing that. It's very different to other ones we've done in the past where we might've done three or four weeks straight taken holidays and then just really hammered through a big extent of work so that was ready to get turned over to be rented. But we've decided on this one, we're not putting that level of pressure on ourselves. We're just going to go through it and document it. And also we've got trade supply timeline things. We've also got people on holiday, all that sort of thing. It's just a slightly different process, but it seems to be working okay at the moment, yeah. so we'll keep plugging along. And
0: you, and not as young as you were. <laughs> no,
1: exactly, exactly. And it's a side <laughs> it's hustle. Not on let the body. Keep, but... Let me keep saying a side hustle. It's not the main gig. So yes, yeah. <laughs> to be lived in this yeah. sort of time of year as well.
0: But. There's so many other things that we are doing behind in the background. We may not be on site every day, but there's so many other things like the planning, the budgeting, all the works. We're on the phone with our trades and um, uh, there's always stuff happening. Heather, you're running the budgeting side of things and you are on the phone to me saying, just watch that budget. We're just going to pull it back. It's about knowing our limitations. we need to consider is what those funds are going to cover. And what do we take on ourselves? And what tiling or grouting, what cleaning what sanding or lifting carpet? But if we can't physically do that or we live too far away, there may be the opportunity then you've got to consider that in the budget who we're paying to do that.
1: We could have elected to pay people to do all of these nasty, boring, dirty, dusty jobs. It's just less profit at the other end. So That's for right. me, I'd rather get dirty for uh, you know a couple of days and go and have a shower and dust all the dust off and <laughs> get back yeah. to it for me. And, and it's very satisfying to it be is- taking something from what was a very nice intact house then thoroughly stripping it out and then now bit by bit putting it back together but the demo is so much quicker than the put back don't go crazy on your demo if you, you have never done it before because it takes a lot longer to put it back than it does to pull it out
0: and knowing where you're, what you're allowed to as well we've talked about wanting to pull out a wall we haven't touched it because we need to have a builder on site tell us what can we do are we even going to be able to afford to put this beam through? What certification or what sign up do we need from the local council in regards to doing that? The notifiable works? Who do we need to contact is it to take that on? Or is it something that under my licensing as a building designer, I could just put through council and need a building? There's these sort of things that we've got to allow to for too. So that's why we haven't done these other works, because we need to know those answers.
1: just to divert for a second and our instagram handle is at first flip formula but if you haven't followed us at first flip formula or the scribble club both instagram is where we're most active but there's also facebook so if you prefer facebook the scribble club is our facebook address as well or check out our website which is www.com and then forward slash for resources there's lots of free resources and some small cost offers as well in there so if you're thinking about doing any kind of renovation and you just want a bit more information or a few freebies then jump on there and get those as well that wraps us up for the day Trish and look forward to seeing what we get up to in the Renner.
0: this episode was brought to you by the Scribble Club our signature group coaching program and The Scribble School, the best online education and resources to help women design beautiful, functional, healthy homes.
1: Check it out at thescribbleclub.com, along with so many free resources to help you design and deliver the dream spaces in your home and get the results that you deserve.
0: If you loved this episode, please don't keep it a secret. Share it with your friends on social media and tag us at The Scribble Club.
1: We love hearing from our listeners and seeing your reactions to our episodes. We'd also love you to leave a review on your favourite podcast platform.
0: Your feedback helps us grow and improve our content. It also helps other listeners find our show.
1: Have a wonderful day. We're the Sketchy Ladies and we're behind you all the way.